Tuesday the 3rd of October, it's the Feast of Mother Theodore Guerin, who is an Indiana saint. Let's pray for her intercession in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. St. Mother Theodore Guerin, valiant woman of God, intercede for us in our needs. Implore for us through Jesus the Christ, the gifts of a living faith, abiding hope, and steadfast charity, so that through a life of prayer and service with others, we may aid in promoting the providence of God among all peoples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along on a Tuesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Uh, actually, Paul Lockman's out today. Anna Mitchell's at the controls. But you wouldn't know that unless you were watching on our uh, live stream. So there you go. You can watch Annie run the board today. Up this hour, Father Boniface Hicks is going to be along with more thoughts on personal prayer. We'll catch up with Marlon De La Torre from the Diocese of Columbus. Mike Aquilina has been going through various cities of God, as we call this series, various places that were geographically important in the early church. Today we talk about Armenia, which is extremely important even in the news today and the challenges Christians are facing there. And then Dr. Matthew Bunsen will talk about some of the things going on in the synod conversations, uh, specifically related to the dubia, um, what those were, who presented them, and what the response was or was not. We'll get all that from Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. As the Synod is about to get underway, five cardinals have made public their original and revised dubia or questions to Pope Francis, as Matt was just saying. Cardinal Raymond Burke yesterday published the five questions they presented to the Holy Father, one regarding the assertion that the divine revelation should be reinterpreted based on current cultural and anthropological changes. Another regarding the assertion that the widespread practice of blessing same-sex unions. Another regarding the assertion that synodality is a, quote, constitutive dimension of the church. Another regarding the support of the sacramental ordination of women. And finally, regarding the assertion that forgiveness is a human right. More on this with Dr. Matthew Bunsen at the end of the hour. Florida Congressman Matt Gates is aiming to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his post. Mark Mayfield reports. He filed a motion Monday to force a vote to overthrow McCarthy. Speaking to reporters outside the Capitol, the Florida Republican mentioned House Majority Leader Steve Scalise as a potential replacement. The move comes after McCarthy worked with Democrats to pass a short-term funding bill to keep the government open, which conservative members of the conference were opposed to. Gates has questioned whether McCarthy cut a secret deal with the Democrats on funding for Ukraine. A House vote to keep McCarthy on as Speaker could come this week. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. President Biden's son will be appearing in federal court on gun charges today. Hunter Biden was indicted on three felony firearms charges last month, including unlawfully possessing a gun as an illegal drug user. The charges come after a prior plea deal to see the gun offenses dismissed fell apart following scrutiny from a federal judge. Biden's attorneys have called the charges illegitimate. He is expected to plead not guilty. New York City's health system is offering telehealth abortion access, becoming the first public health system in the nation to do so. Starting this week, patients in New York City seeking abortion will be able to schedule a virtual appointment with a New York State licensed healthcare professional through health and hospitals. Patients must attest to being in New York City at the time of the call and attest that they will be in New York City when they take any medication. The death toll stands at 10 after a church in Mexico collapsed during a baptism ceremony. From Vatican Radio, James Blears reports. Bishop Jose Armando Alvarez of Tampico Diocese says the roof of Santa Cruz Church collapsed as more than 100 people inside the building were receiving communion during the celebration of Eucharist, stating, We lament the loss of life of people who were celebrating the baptism of their children. Thanks to divine providence and the work of rescue teams, people have been pulled out alive. Priest of the church, Father Father Angel Vargas, who was holding the service when this happened, said, All of it is unfathomable. They came to search for heaven for their little ones. Dozens of people held up the unstable structure with poles, while others risked their lives going into the rubble to search, many with their bare hands, as dozens were trapped in the rubble. The roof, which was made from thin concrete, came down on the pews, so there were air pockets and spaces in which some people were able to survive. So far, the death toll is five women, two men, and three children. Rescue teams, plus friends and neighbors of those trapped, two cranes, thermal imaging, and hydraulic earth-moving equipment, plus dog teams were used under arc lights through the night. A medical Villarreal, the governor of Tamaulipas State, confirms all those inside the church have been accounted for, but the operation continues to ensure that no one else is trapped. An investigation's already underway into the root collapse, which appears to have occurred due to structural failure. There were no seismic occurrences in the northeastern coastal city of Madero, neighboring the larger port city of Tampico at the time of this tragedy. For Vatican Radio, James Blaise reporting. And state government offices and courthouses in Colorado were closed yesterday as the state observed Francis Xavier Cabrini Day. Colorado lawmakers authorized the observance back in 2020, establishing the first paid state holiday honoring a woman in the United States. Mother Cabrini came to the U.S. from Italy in 1889 and opened a missionary school and orphanage in Denver near the turn of the century. Cabrini was canonized as a saint back in 1946. So... Of all of the states that a that could do something like this Colorado, Colorado would not been be very far down on well, that well for list. two reasons right one is because it's Colorado's got a lot of progressives but the reason that Colorado's got a lot of progressives is because a lot of those progressives parents were fundamentalist evangelicals oh, so it's, it's kind of yeah. cool to see that in that world mother yeah. cabrini got a got a mother plug. cabrini got a day 
Speaking of mothers who are immigrant saints, yes, uh, who have their feast days on the calendar today, uh, we get to mark the feast of Mother Theodore Guerin, who was French but came to do work in Indiana, and we're going to talk a lot more about her as the morning continues. But uh, yeah, happy feast day to all of you listening in Indiana this morning. Let us hear from you. Let us know how you're doing. You can do that on our uh, Sunrise Morning Show live video stream chat if you like at uh, the show notes. Just go to sunrisemorningshow.com, click show notes, and there it is. There's a video right there at the top. Pop on over and say hello. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Boniface Hicks, and he is the author, along with Father Thomas Acklin, of Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love. It's a great book, and we've been going through lots of different aspects of uh, how we can deepen our prayer lives. Father Boniface, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Great to be with you. Yeah, great to be with you as well. And uh, towards the end of your book, you begin to get into this idea of really you know, getting to that next level with Christ in our prayer life. And you start this chapter, chapter 11, off with the idea of thirst uh, as a way to understand this relationship. And of course, Jesus says, I thirst from the cross. That's probably our first point of reference. But how does this play out in the life of prayer and our relationship with God? Yeah, we tried to uh, cover a bit in the final chapter of the book about how prayer transforms us as we enter more deeply into it, as we persevere in our lives of prayer, as we open our hearts more fully to the Lord. And we're, we're already beginning to taste heaven on earth, and so we, we kind of lean forward into what that looks like. But one of the things that uh, about experiencing heaven on earth is that our humanity just can't really handle it. And so what we experience in Jesus on the cross is divine love in human form, which is, is simply uh, drawn to us. So he says, I thirst on the cross, and there's a physical element to that, but there's a much deeper element about thirsting for his love, and that's something that Mother Teresa really picked up on in particular, and put that little phrase right next to all of the crucifixes in all of her convents, and lived that I thirst, but which she also shared in as she found a thirst that was greater than anything that was that could be fulfilled. And so as amazing as her life was, and all of us from the outside would say, Well, you know, I mean she just did so many amazing things and she demonstrated uh, Christian charity in such a to such an extreme degree, but she experienced tremendous darkness interiorly because her, what she longed for was so much greater than really her, her humanity could handle, I think it would be the, the best way to describe it. So, so that thirst for God, wanting so much more of Him, and as much of Him as we have, we long for so much more of Him. And that's true of Him for us as well, and that's actually where it starts, His thirst for us. You know, I try and think about the times when I am sort of most thirsty and, you know, kind of what that sense is like to finally get water at the end of it. You know, maybe I'm out and about and I just have forgotten to drink water, <laughs> right? And I'm just like mm. doing errands and, you know, you go for a while and you're like, something is wrong with me and I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm dehydrated, <laughs> right? Or uh, mm -hmm. maybe you're intentionally doing some sort of exercise, um, you know, going on a run and you finally get back and, you know, you get that drink and it's like, this sort of replenishment and this um, the sense of like coolness and peace uh, after sort of your own efforts have 
run the course. I just, as a metaphor, it works in so many interesting ways, especially because, you know, when you hydrate yourself, uh, you know, it doesn't just go into your belly. It kind of like courses through your entire body what it is that you've drank. So, yeah, there's a lot to think about here. Yeah, that's right. I love that uh, kind of obscurity even, you know, who would associate a headache with dehydration or sometimes the, the muscle pains or aches that we can experience with dehydration. It's not obvious that putting something in your mouth is going to affect your entire body. There's uh, there's really something very true about that in terms of prayer as well, that what we're, what we're lacking in terms of our spiritual life can be having all kinds of effects that appear to be unrelated, and yet when we really drink in God's love, when we place ourselves before that fount of divine love, it does course through our whole lives in a, in a wonderful way. So this concept then of Jesus being the one to say, I thirst, like, I think we can understand our own thirst. Uh, I mean, Jesus even talks about we're blessed when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Um, but for Jesus to have that towards us, I mean, what are we supposed to make of that? <laughs> well, it is uh, it is amazing. And uh, as I mentioned, Mother Teresa very much associated that with uh, something deeper than just the physical reality, but saw this thirst of God from the cross, a sign of what of, of the depths of His love for us, that He would actually thirst for us in that way. And His becoming man to save us, His mounting the cross to take all of our sins on Himself, His desire to be close to us in our worst moments, to rescue us and to do that by sharing those worst moments with us as he takes on all of the suffering of the world are demonstrations of the magnitude of his love for us. And so really a sign uh, for, for us to look to continuously and be reminded of how valuable we are in the eyes of God to see his thirst for us. It's a lot to process, and you know, of course, these things end up getting highlighted during Holy Week when we hear, um, you know, the the Lord's Passion and and all of it. Uh, but you know, even just this concept that you know, thirst is not something that we experience out of you know luxury or preference. We experience it out of need, right? And it sort of is a, a highlight of our of our need. Uh, but Father Boniface, you get into this in in great depth uh, in your book, Personal Prayer. If you could uh, remind our listeners where they can get it and uh, what they can find in it. It's available through uh, Emmaus Road Publishing, stpaulcenter.com, stpaulcenter.com. And uh, it's a a, uh, extensive book on, on prayer, the experience of prayer, and tapping into the Catholic tradition of prayer, and really moving into the concrete details of prayer as well. So I, I hope it's a, a great help for people in deepening their relationship with God. Well, I recommend it all the time to my friends who come from evangelical backgrounds and are saying, I knew how to pray, how to pray in that world. How do I pray as a Catholic? <laughs> I'm like, just mm. read Father Boniface's book. And uh, oh, if you want to... that's great. If, if you're looking on the live stream, I'm holding it up so you can see what the cover looks like when you go into the bookstore and try and find it. Father Boniface, have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you too, Matt. Thanks. All right. It's a quarter past. We've got headlines with Anna Mitchell next. Pro-life across America, the billboard people. 
It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marianne Koharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. The Catholic Man Show, hosted by Adam Minahan and David Niles, designed especially for men that promotes the lost art of living virtuously. You can hear The Catholic Man Show as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTNradio.net slash podcasts today. 17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. As the Senate is about to get underway, five cardinals have made public their original and revised dubia or questions to Pope Francis. Florida Congressman Matt Gates is aiming to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his post. And New York City's health system is now offering telehealth abortion access. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. You know, Anna Mitchell, uh, if you head over to that uh, EWTN podcast page, there's all kinds of great stuff, mm-hmm. um, including podcasts of the Sunrise Morning Show. Oh, so nice. you can you can find some of those things and, you know, some of the other shows that air kind of more regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but go check that out. Check that out. You can uh, you can find some cool stuff. Uh, you know, today the feast of Mother Theodore Guerin, and she, of course, uh, as I mentioned before, was from France, but ended up doing mission work in Indiana. Uh, what's interesting to me is that she uh, started schools uh, in a bunch of different places uh, in St. Mary of the Woods Village, uh, Vincennes, Terre Haute, Fort Wayne, Evansville, uh, even Columbus, Indiana, not Columbus, Ohio. Um, but all that at the time was it was called the Diocese of Vincennes. Oh, wow. So the yeah. whole thing used to be the Diocese of Vincennes, Indiana. Huh. And now it's been split up into uh, a few different dioceses. But uh, it's pretty cool. She um, was – well, she she was born in 1798. She died in 1856 to kind of give you a sense of of the scope of when she was, when she was around and active. But uh, – yeah, shout out to all our Indiana listeners. We don't, you know, when we go through the list of all the places that have saints in the making or have saints, I think sometimes we overlook uh, Indiana. Yeah, Indiana, absolutely. And don't treat uh, Mother Theodore like a flyover saint. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say. She is not a flyover saint. 
most definitely. Sorry, I I think you're distracted. I'm looking at a camera image of you right now, and it's like Annie's in a weird spot. Oh yeah, are you These looking live stream things throwing us off, man? I apologize yeah. to everyone who's. I'm just realizing, Matt, I'm I'm off time on our music. Oh, you got to hit the button correctly. Yeah, and I didn't hit the button correctly. Well, it also it's because Paul Lockman is. Uh... This is where, the if you're watching today. the live stream, this is where Paul Lockman sits. Yes. Annie's in Paul's chair today. You can see the little statues Paul behind And I need to keep him. remembering the camera, where the camera is. I'm looking at the screen that's in front of me, but I need to look at the camera. See, this is all, I have too many things going through my mind. Annie, Annie. I know. You are concerned about many things. But only th- only ten seconds, Matt. Only one thing is necessary. It's ten seconds. Oh my goodness! Well, five, four. Annie's counting three. so hard. We'll be back right after the break, Mother Theodore Garin. Monk coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert. She does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. Accept, O Lord, this appeal for pardon wrung from our afflicted and repentant souls. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for public scandals and evil living, for all who corrupt thy little ones, for crimes in families, the sins of parents and children. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for those who traffic in public crime, for those who lead and lure souls to eternal damnation by riches and corrupt literature, for those who excite evil passions by immodest fashions. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for all attacks against our Holy Father, the Pope, for all organized disobedience against Holy Mother, the Church, for all weak and straying souls, for sinners who resist grace, for all abuse of the sacraments, or any outrage against the Holy Eucharist. Amen. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Marlon De La Torres, Senior, Senior Director of the Department of Evangelization for the Diocese of Columbus. He writes at Knowing is Doing. Org. That's where they listen on St. Gabriel Radio. Marlon, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Go Bucks. So we are looking at a post that you did over at Knowing is Doing mm-hmm. on the idea of an inconvenient creed. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners know the Apostles' Creed. They know the Nicene Creed. If you read yeah. through um, the letters of St. Paul, uh, you can mm-hmm. find a bunch of little mini creeds. And we think Correct. of them as things that we believe and things that are true. Uh, I don't think we realize sometimes that if we were to take them seriously, they'd be a little inconvenient <laughs> to, to us and how we live our lives. 
It's true. Sometimes we look at either his letter to the Ephesians or Colossians and, and we want to ask ourselves, really? That's exactly what we're called to do? That's how we're supposed to believe? Um, and it, it tends to be our human nature tends to somewhat impede St. Paul's call. Or when, when you look at, say, the, the church fathers and what they did to really defend the creed or defend the uh, the message of Christ. It's like, well, do we have to go to that extreme? Is that really necessary today? Can I just be happy and believe, be complacent? Uh, and these things work through the mind of, of any human being. And so uh, when you're trying to live the faith and trying to establish a, a clear conscience effort to uh, to follow, I guess, the way of Christ, uh, at times our, our personal vices get in the way or um, the thought, does it really need to go to that extreme? So we can look at the creed as an extreme practice of faith sometimes. And, um, you know, we could we could easily pivot from that and, and create a, our own theological diversion and say, well, you know what, they, they can live their life that way. I don't have to preach it to them. They're happy. I'll go about just, just believing in what the church says personally, but, but not really uh, presented in a way where it may offend someone. And so uh, it could be an inconvenience for some. And uh, unfortunately, that that's how it's viewed from time to time. You know, what's interesting is that this can be inconvenient to different people in different ways, depending on your personality mm -hmm. type. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. there are uh, some people who they want to see Jesus as just kind of a nice teacher. So anything mm -hmm. that involves like a, a moral stance or, mm -hmm. you know, something that, that's a little bit, you know, edgy or confrontational, you kind of sort of, of gloss over. There are other people I've met whose entire spirituality seems to be um, centered around Jesus flipping the tables in the temple, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, the, that's yeah. the one thing they really like about Jesus is when he's, like, putting people on blast. And they're not as good on the uh, forgiveness parts or on the showing mercy or mm -hmm. on the welcoming... Uh, the stranger, oh, whatever it happens to be, right? Everybody, I don't Correct. care who you are, if you mm -hmm. read through the Gospels, there's going to be something that you mm -hmm. like and you're going to say amen to and something that if you understand it correctly is going to make you mm -hmm. squirm. Correct. And I think there, there's a there's a premise behind the creed. When, when you say, I believe, uh, you, not only is it a, a question of affirming or an assent to God, it means that there's a docility of the spirit. So whether you like the Beatitudes or not, for those who are more gung-ho or, or tensive, you know what, forget the Beatitudes, just uh, send them to hell. Versus those who look at the Beatitudes as the opening to live your life according to how you personally believe your conscience to be. Um, either way, there's still a docility of the Spirit to to listen to the will of God in your life if you want to. And then from there to discern, all right, what is the the premise of the message of the gospel? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? And so it, it does affect both sides, unfortunately, And but there is a, a unifying force in Christ himself. Uh, the, the aim I tell people is when you look at the creator's inconvenience, all right, what is the premise of your soul and what is the premise of your life here? It, it's eternal happiness. It, it, it's to be with our Lord in heaven. And there is a progression to that. There is a, a definitive stance that Christ did, and he died for that stance. And because of that fact, the, the, the creed is intimately tied because it says that I ascend to what Christ did on that cross. And the, the, the death of his, the, his death was not a pacifist act. His death was not one where he's going to damn everybody to hell, per se. 
But what it is, it's it, this is the way and you have the freedom to choose to do so or not. And from there, you can pave your path to heaven or simply pave your path to hell. And it, it is your choice. And I think that's the beauty of the creed. It gives you that option to choose. And that can be very inconvenient for some who just don't want to choose. And I find that fascinating when, when I encounter this with individuals literally across the country. Well, and I've, I encounter it, you know, in other people, but I'm, I can't do much about other people. I'm more worried about when I encounter it in myself, Marlon, <laughs> right? Amen. That's, that's the thing I can do something about. And, um, I think that for me, a big part of it is just hearing a passage where I think Jesus is, you know, really kind of saying something that the world needs to hear right now and not mm-hmm. thinking to myself, Jesus is saying something that I need to hear right now. Right. Correct. And we're, yeah. I think my tendency is to really get excited about when Jesus tells the world that they're going off track and not as excited yeah. and not even like as attentive to how he's mm-hmm. telling me I'm going mm-hmm. off track. Absolutely. And I mean, you can look at either John 15, uh, the vine and the branch, or you can look really uh, at the healing elements beginning with Matthew 10. I mean, there, there's there's a way that our Lord says, look, I, I'm, I'm healing Jairus' daughter. I'm healing the paralytic. I'm healing, healing the blind man for a particular reason to demonstrate to you that th- this is the path that I offer you. And it's not just through the healing itself, but my proclamation of the word and what salvation brings to us through me. Uh, I think that's just a a beautiful consolation, not just for ourselves, but for everybody around. Well, Marlon De La Torre, if our listeners want to connect with you over at Knowing is Doing and get some of your thoughts on catechesis and uh, not just catechesis as an intellectual exercise, but as forming us in the Christian faith, uh, how do they find your work? They can find it through knowingisdoing.org or just visit the Catholic Diocese of Columbus. All right. Sounds great, Marlon. Have a wonderful day. You too, Matt. God bless. Go Bucks. Of course, Columbus, Ohio, the home of Annie Mitchell's Ohio State Buckeyes and Marlins. I know there are actually lots of you listening on St. Gabriel Radio who are big, big Buckeye people, and that's fine. We SEC fans understand because we have a, we have a flavor of that. In the South, it's just a lot spicier. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. As the Senate is about to get underway, five cardinals have made public their original and revised dubia or questions to Pope Francis. Cardinal Raymond Burke yesterday published the five questions they presented to the Holy Father, one regarding the assertion that the divine revelation be reinterpreted based on current cultural and anthropological changes. Another regarding the assertion that the widespread practice of the widespread practice of blessing same-sex unions. Another regarding the assertion that synodality is a constitutive dimension of the church. Another regarding the support of the sacramental ordination of women. And finally, one regarding the assertion that forgiveness is a human right. The Holy See yesterday published the Pope's original responses. Pope Francis met yesterday with a group of contemplative religious sisters, encouraging them in their humble testimony to the gospel for those in need. 
From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Pope Francis encouraged them to continue following the path of St. Charles de Foucault as they discuss important decisions to take to address the new challenges facing the congregation today, including the lack of vocations, the closure of some houses and the growing average age of their members. The Pope highlighted three guidelines drawn from the saint he canonized in 2022, also in light of the theme chosen for the chapter based on the gospel story of the meeting of Jesus with a Samaritan woman. The first guideline, the most important one, is the search of God. Come la Samaritana, Gesù vi offre il suo amore e sta a voi accettarne la sfida. As with the Samaritan woman, he said, Jesus offers you his love and it is up to you to accept the challenge by putting aside self-referentiality and habit. Pope Francis went on to reflect on the testimony of the gospel with words, works of charity and prayerful presence. In this regard, he expresses hope that their delicate proximity and care for the least may be a challenge to modern-day indifference. Finally, Pope Francis recalled the love for the hidden life, making oneself small to share the life of the little ones. The Pope encouraged the Sisters of Jesus to continue to cultivate it as a powerful prophecy for our time, which he said is polluted by appearances. Continuate a coltivarla. È una profezia potente per il nostro tempo inquinato dall'apparire. I am Lisa Zingarini. In Washington, Florida Congressman Matt Gates is aiming to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his post. Mark Mayfield has more. He filed a motion Monday to force a vote to overthrow McCarthy. Speaking to reporters outside the Capitol, the Florida Republican mentioned House Majority Leader Steve Scalise as a potential replacement. The move comes after McCarthy worked with Democrats to pass a short-term funding bill to keep the government open, which conservative members of the conference were opposed to. Gates has questioned whether McCarthy cut a secret deal with Democrats on funding for Ukraine. A House vote to keep McCarthy on as Speaker could come this week. I'm Mark Mayfield. New York City's health system is offering telehealth abortion access now, becoming the first public health system in the nation to do so. Starting this week, patients in New York City seeking abortion will be able to schedule a virtual appointment with a New York State licensed healthcare professional through health and hospitals. Patients must attest to being in New York City at the time of the call and must attest that they will be in New York City when they take any medication. A nine-year-old girl missing in a New York park has been found alive and her kidnapper captured after an intense days-long search. Trey Thomas has the story. Governor Kathy Hochul confirmed Monday that Charlotte Cena was kidnapped and that her suspected abductor is in custody. It's been a long two days, but tonight our prayers have been answered. We're overcome with relief and gratitude. She noted that Cena appeared to be in good physical shape as she was rescued Monday evening. Hochul said the suspect left a note at Charlotte's parents' house demanding a ransom. Fingerprint analysis led to the man's mother's home, where a SWAT team found Charlotte in a cabinet inside a camper. I'm Trey Thomas. And the United Auto Workers strike, according to a new study, has cost the U.S. economy nearly $4 billion. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. The 
You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. Everything passes, O Christians. After a few days of this present life, we shall enjoy that life which has no end. It does not matter, one iota, if these days are comfortable or uncomfortable, provided we are happy for all eternity. Let this holy eternity that awaits us be our consolation, together with the thought of being Christians, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, reborn by means of his blood. Our glory consists simply and solely in this, that the Savior died for us. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. From fathersofthechurch.com, we're joined now by Mike Aquilina, who's got lots of great resources out there. And among them, he does the Way of the Fathers podcast for catholicculture.org. We've been talking lately about uh, really important and key locations in early Christianity. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. All right, so Armenia's been in the news a lot. Not near as much as it should be, uh, unfortunately, but because of all the conflict and genocide— uh, that's going on there right now. It's a good time to turn our attention to the story of Armenia and the history of Christianity. And it's an early story, right? It's a very early story and a very important story. Armenia is so alien to us. Uh, if you look at the, the Christian art of Armenia, it startles you because it's so different. It has a, a kind of Persian quality to it, a kind of Asian quality to it, but it's also recognizably, you know, influenced by the West. Armenia is a kind of cultural crossroads, uh, and the Armenians managed a synthesis of many different cultures and their art forms, their literary forms, and and so so when when Christians see it. They're astonished by it, and they're saying, like, where have you been all my life? <laughs> I can remember that kind of reaction when the Metropolitan Museum of Art had a uh, an exhibit uh, on Armenia s- several years back, and, and so many of the reviews were just... You could hear the the audible gasp in the reviewer. It was it was amazing. But that's the way Armenia strikes us today, especially in the West, because it's so startlingly different. And then you you learn that it's always been there. It's always been around. It was the first Christian country on earth. 
you know, wrap your mind around that. And when you look at the map and sort of see where it is, uh, you know, on your way from you know, Lebanon towards the Caspian Sea, you draw a straight line, you're going to hit Armenia, <laughs> right? And That's so it's, right. it's right there in the paths of the travel that the apostles and the people that they'd been evangelizing would have been coming back and forth from, right? That's right. And they, and again, it got all those influences. It even got all those sounds, you know, in its, in its language. Its traders brought back all of these sounds, all of these words from, from many different directions. So the Ar- Armenian uh, alphabet that was developed to accommodate those sounds consists of 38 letters. I mean, in our alphabet, we only have 26, and, and English can kind of rest easy in those, those 26 letters, but even 38 seems like not enough to contain the Armenian, uh, the Armenian sounds, and uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing uh, that, that, it, that it was created at all. You know, it was created by Christians, that alphabet, in order to produce a literary culture that could accommodate the scriptures and the other Christian writings, the writings of the Church Fathers. All right, so what kinds of things then, if we're looking at the heritage of the Church in Armenia, uh, what kind of things do we see there? Well, I mentioned that exhibit at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, it, Armenia has a rich tradition of iconography, so um, so that's what 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 astonished people. That's what what really caught the eyes of the reviewers and and captured the hearts of the reviewers. Uh, so so there's the Armenian iconic tradition, which is very unusual, very unlike anything we see in uh, in the the Greek tradition, the Byzantine tradition, or or the Latin tradition. Uh, so that's that's. Uh, that's that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is just the fact that Armenia was a crossroads. It managed to to get and translate the literature from many other places uh, around around it. So um, so there in Armenia, you have not only productions from Armenia itself, from the Armenian fathers, but you also have um, monasteries that preserved the works of Greek fathers and Latin fathers that would otherwise be lost to us. I mean, think about it. Irenaeus, one of the greatest fathers, right? One of the most important figures in Christian history. One of his works had been lost for centuries before it was rediscovered in an Armenian monastery. And it had to be translated from the Armenian. So the only reason we have that work of Irenaeus today is because it was translated from Armenian. Uh, so Armenia really does have a distinctive culture. It's all its own. It really is. Uh, but it's um, it, it also has managed to preserve so much that's important in the other cultures, the Greek and the Latin cultures that were dominant in the world at that time. You know, it's fascinating because we've had these conversations before about the places where Christianity first flourished or where some of these great minds and great movements were taking place. And the casual armchair History Channel watcher will say, oh, that was all Europe. But, you know, we've talked before about how Africa was like a center of such things. And Armenia is basically Asia, right? Yes, yes, yes. And and, and once you get into the history of Christian Armenia— 
it all sounds surreal. I, I mean, that's what what one that's the word that one of uh, the commenters used in responding to my podcast. It all sounds surreal, and yet it's corroborated by many other historians from other places. Uh, you know what happened in the third century is that one of the Armenian kings was assassinated. Right. And the king only had one heir and his heir was whisked off to Rome for protection as the, the Parthians took over Armenia. And the assassin had a, a, a son, only one child, a son who was whisked off to Cappadocia. Well, what happens is that the son of the assassin becomes uh, a Christian while he's in Cappadocia. He's also brilliant. His name is Gregory. And the king, the, the, the king's son comes back to rule in Armenia eventually at the behest of the Romans. And eventually they come together and they don't know about their, their shared history at the, at that time. But the, the, uh, the assassin's son becomes uh, the prime minister of the king, if you could believe this. Uh, and, and eventually through a, a series of adventures converts the king and the king then converts his people, and the, the, the country becomes the first Christian country. And again, this is in the midst of the Diocletian persecution. This is very early in Christian history, at a time when that was a seismic event in, in international relations. So, um, so yes, it's got this, this history that can only be described as surreal and its art has this surreal quality, and there's a poetic quality to its literature too, uh, that that really hits Westerners as uh, as alien and yet true. Yeah, it's fascinating. We've only scratched the surface of the riches of Christian Armenia. You go in depth into some of this stuff in your podcast uh, on the Way of the Fathers. It's at CatholicCulture.org, and it's linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Mike Aquilina, these are always fascinating conversations. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Matt. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Mystic Monk Coffee has brought back their pumpkin spice blend, and unlike the competition, buying their coffee has the added bonus of supporting the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming and the Sunrise Morning Show. Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click the Mystic Monk link to get that or any of their other coffee blends or teas. When you check out, we earn a commission. And there's no better vessel for your Mystic Monk pumpkin spice latte than a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug. Find those in our online store. Do pumpkin spice the Catholic way. Just head on over to sonrisemorningshow.com. 
Renowned Catholic literary scholar Joseph Pierce introduces you to the men and women behind history's greatest works of literature. You can hear The Authority with Joseph Pierce as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTNRadio.net slash podcasts today. Thirteen till back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Great to be with you. It is great to have you. And okay, so five cardinals have sent five now revised dubia, as they are called, to the Pope. So this is Cardinal Raymond Burke, Cardinal Robert Sarah, Cardinal Joseph Zen. I think those three people have probably heard of quite readily. And then two pretty well-known but lesser-known, Cardinal Walter Brandemuller and Cardinal Juan Sandoval Iniguez. Um, this coming out now, I think, because of the proximity to the Synod on Synodality, though they sent the original Dubia um, months ago, several months ago. And um, yeah. so the issues that are going to be covered in the Synod um, according to the working document, are are issues that they pose here. Just first off, Doc, quickly, just remind us what a what a dubium or what dubia are. Well, first, I appreciate the fact that uh, you're saying it exactly right because there are a lot of people in, in the media who aren't actually using it right, and it's not a criticism. It's just it, it's a testament to how obscure this can sound. A dubium means a doubt. It's a question. A dubia are doubts, so several questions. So it's basically the, from the singular to the plural in Latin. Mm-hmm. And a, a dubium is a question, as it sounds, but it's a, basically it's, it's a request for clarification that is sent. Any Catholic can send one, uh, but it's mostly issued by bishops, episcopal conferences, in this case by cardinals, asking for a clarification on a matter. It can be doctrine, it can be sacramental liturgical practice, most often, it's a, a clarification of some very fine point of canon law. It's important to note, however, that, that any Vatican office or the Holy Father is not obligated to respond. They may, they, when they choose to respond, they do so on their own volition. Okay, that is a good point to make, particularly in, in this case, because they published the original questions and did not receive yes or no answers. I don't know if Pope Francis, I I don't mean this to be um, a a slight on Pope Francis. I'm just not sure if he's even capable of a yes or no, just straight out. Um, But the Vatican has published his responses. Cardinal Burke published the original questions, the original response, and then brought about these revised questions in uh, the hopes of receiving yes or no answers from Pope Francis, but they have not received a reply to that, though they got the original answers from him the day after, uh, according to the reports from the Vatican. So um, That's correct. Doc, everyone is talking about one response in particular, so let's get this one going now. Uh, The question about blessing 
same-sex unions. Unpack this whole thing for us. Right. Well, the the question as it was framed uh, basically was surrounding, uh, it's a dubium, a question about the claim that the widespread practice of the blessing of same-sex unions would somehow be in accord with Revelation and the Magisterium. And Pope Francis uh, responded that basically the question is this, can the Church derogate from this principle objectively sinful, such as same-sex unions, without betraying revealed doctrine? And Pope Francis, uh, as he always does, he goes back and he articulates, he says that the Church has a very clear concept of marriage, an exclusive, stable, and indissoluble union between a man and a woman, naturally open to the begetting of children. He calls his union marriage. He then goes on, uh, it's not a mere question of names, but the reality that we call marriage. He then goes on, uh, for this reason, the Church avoids any kind of rite or sacramental that could contradict this conviction and give the impression that something that is not marriage is recognized as marriage. Here comes the however. He he says that in dealing with people, we must not lose the pastoral charity that must permeate all our decisions and attitudes. The defense of objective truth, he writes, is not the only expression of this charity, which is also made up of kindness, patience, understanding, tenderness, etc. For this reason, pastoral prudence must adequately discern, he says, whether there are forms of blessing requested by one or more persons that do not transmit a mistaken conception of marriage. Then he has, on the other hand, although there are situations that from an objective point of view are not morally acceptable, pastoral charity itself demands that we do not simply treat as sinners other people whose guilt or responsibility may be due to their own fault or responsibility attenuated by various factors. He quotes John Paul II, Reconciliatio et Penitentia, and then he says... Decisions which in certain circumstances can form part of pastoral prudence should not necessarily become a norm. Hmm. So he's making what, what I would judge to be a set of very rare qualifications, but then stresses at the very end, in certain circumstances, these should not form a part of pastoral prudence, should not necessarily become a norm. And then he goes back to quote uh, his own Amoris Laetitia, nor, he says, canon law should not and cannot cover everything, nor should the Episcopal Congresses claim to do so with their various documents and protocols. Well, this is really interesting in light of things that have happened or not happened, as as the case may be, because it was, what, a couple of years ago that the, now well, it's now the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, um, answered a dubium saying that there is no way to have a a liturgical blessing an official blessing i guess you could say of of same-sex unions but that you could bless individuals who experience same-sex attraction i think there's a lot of distinctions that need to be made there but pope francis in here um says one or more people which i think a lot of people are harping on um, what does that mean? But then also in terms of what hasn't happened, Doc, and I'm hoping you can talk about all of this, um, he has not brought down the hammer on, say, the, the Belgium bishops who have created a blessing for same-sex unions. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, there hasn't been uh, any sort of a formal statement, uh, and we can go back to the, the widespread practice, and it's not necessarily widespread, but we're seeing the practice and parts of Germany. We had a recent controversy in the Diocese of Cologne surrounding this, 
the German synodal path, uh, German synodal way, to be more precise, uh, has also expressed a desire for same-sex blessings, pushing the boundaries even further. I think they would like to see same-sex marriage blessed uh, in the Church. Then we, we see it practiced in Belgium and also, in, in, as you note, in the Netherlands. Uh, and this uh, itself has not been subject to a condemnation or censure. Uh, now, there are potential reasons for this in the sense of uh, we don't have clarity yet as to the dimensions of that. And I suspect that uh, with the handover at the now dicastery doctrine of the faith from Cardinal Ladaria to Cardinal Fernandez, We'll have to see if there is ultimately some sort of a statement on this. Okay, now let me ask you uh, just quickly, because we've we've only got about a minute and a half left on, but <laughs> about the their question about the nature of the synod and the governance of the church, because I think this is going to be an important question we're going to have to consider, um, well, maybe not this year, but certainly next year. Uh, that's right. Uh, and they're basically asking... Um, is the, the Church itself synodal, and what is the supreme and, and authority of the Synod? Now, let's remember that Pope Francis has opened the door potentially for an expansion of the authority of the Synod in his document in 2018 called the uh, Episcopalis Communio. But he makes the point to uh, the, the cardinals themselves, it's kind of a, a, a small joke here, but he, I think he's being serious, that he considers uh, the opportunity on the part of the cardinals to give their opinions freely and to collaborate, that they themselves are actually claiming some form of synodality in the exercise of the papal ministry. So I think Pope Francis uh, is leaving this something of an unanswered question. Uh, but we'll, we'll know in, in time what he's thinking. <laughs> yes, indeed, we will. We'll find out eventually. Well, Doc, really appreciate you unpacking this. Wish we had more time to go through all of the questions individually but it's a good start anyway we'll have another two years to get uh to get a real handle on all of this if possible well and the senate hasn't even started and the senate hasn't even started so more (laughs) fun to come that is for sure we've been talking to dr matthew bunsen from ewtn news doc thanks so much great to be with you likewise all right we got another hour of the sunrise morning show coming up for most of our affiliates here on the ewtn global catholic radio network It is Tuesday, the 3rd of October, the Feast of St. Theodore Guerin, a saint from Indiana. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. With trust in the love our Heavenly Father has for us, we pray, You are our life, O Lord. You care for all the works of your hands. Teach us to help and not to hinder your loving providence. You feed and clothe all your children. Forgive us the greediness that seeks to deprive others for our own benefit. You provide for all the earth. Grant us the wisdom to see and to serve your purposes. Loving Father, you desire to feed, clothe, and shelter all your children. Forgive the sin that seeks to feed, to dress, and to live at the expense of those in need. Grant the generosity that seeks to care for all that you have given. We ask this through Christ our Lord. And on this her feast day, Mother Theodore Guerin, pray for us. 
It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Glad that you're along here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. And Travis is pushing buttons over there, making our video feed run. You can see the video stream at sunrisemorningshow.com. Check the show notes. Up this hour, Dr. Benjamin Lewis from the International Commission on English and the Liturgy has some really cool things to say uh, about some of the hymns that they've been working to translate for the the uh, Divine Office. Um, Tim Glomkowski is going to be with us from the National Eucharistic Congress, and he's going to discuss some recent poll numbers on belief in the Eucharist among Catholics. And uh, we had some really bad numbers last year, and we just got some numbers that were a lot better. What's the difference? Is it uh, a massive thing that has shifted in people's thinking, or is it just a different kind of question they asked on the poll? I'll give you a clue. It's kind of the latter. Uh, Steve Ray is going to talk about unity and trinity in the Bible, and then Chris McGregor uh, will talk about Our Lady of the Rosary during this month dedicated to the Rosary. So please do stay with us if you can. News of Service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. As the Synod is getting underway tomorrow, there have been five cardinals making public their original and devised revised dubia or questions or doubts to Pope Francis. Cardinal Raymond Burke yesterday published the five questions they presented to the Holy Father, one regarding the assertion that that divine revelation should be reinterpreted based on current cultural and anthropological changes. Another regarding the assertion that the widespread practice, the assertion of the blessing of same-sex unions, another regarding the assertion that synodality is a constitutive dimension of the church, another regarding the support of the sacramental ordination of women, and finally regarding the assertion that forgiveness is a human right. The Vatican published the Pope's original responses, and the cardinals have published their responses with revised questions for the Holy Father, which to which he has not responded yet. Florida Congressman Matt Gates is aiming to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his post. Mark Mayfield reports. He filed a motion Monday to force a vote to overthrow McCarthy. Speaking to reporters outside the Capitol, the Florida Republican mentioned House Majority Leader Steve Scalise as a potential replacement. The move comes after McCarthy worked with Democrats to pass a short-term funding bill to keep the government open, which conservative members of the conference were opposed to. Gates has questioned whether McCarthy cut a secret deal with the Democrats on funding for Ukraine. A House vote to keep McCarthy on as Speaker could come this week. I'm Mark Mayfield. President Biden's son will be appearing in federal court today on gun charges. Hunter Biden was indicted on three felony firearms charges last month, including unlawfully possessing a gun as an illegal drug user. The charges come after a prior plea deal to see gun offenses dismissed fell apart following scrutiny from a federal judge. Biden's attorneys have called the changes illegitimate, and he is expected to plead not guilty. New York City's health system is offering telehealth abortion access, becoming the first public health system in the nation to do so. Starting this week, patients in New York City seeking abortion will be able to schedule a virtual appointment with a New York state-licensed healthcare professional through health and hospitals. Patients are supposed to attest to being in New York City at the time of the call and are supposed to attest that they will be in New York City when they take any medication. The death toll stands at 10 after a church in Mexico collapsed during a baptism ceremony. 
From Vatican Radio, James Bleers reports. Bishop Jose Armando Alvarez of Tampico Diocese says the roof of Santa Cruz Church collapsed as more than 100 people inside the building were receiving communion during the celebration of Eucharist, stating, We lament the loss of life of people who were celebrating the baptism of their children. Thanks to divine providence and the work of rescue teams, people have been pulled out alive. Priest of the church, Father Ankel Vargas, who was holding the service when this happened, said, All of it is unfathomable. They came to search for heaven for their little ones. Dozens of people held up the unstable structure with poles, while others risked their lives going into the rubble to search, many with their bare hands as dozens were trapped in the rubble. The roof, which was made from thin concrete, came down on the pews, so there were air pockets and spaces in which some people were able to survive. So far, the death toll is five women, two men, and three children. Rescue teams, plus friends and neighbors of those trapped, two cranes, thermal imaging, and hydraulic earth-moving equipment, plus dog teams were used under arc lights through the night. Americo Villarreal, the governor of Tamaulipas State, confirms all those inside the church have been accounted for, but the operation continues to ensure that no one else is trapped. An investigation's already underway into the roof collapse, which appears to have occurred due to structural failure. There were no seismic occurrences in the northeastern coastal city of Madero, neighboring the larger port city of Tampico at the time of this tragedy. For Vatican Radio, James Blaise reporting. State government offices and courthouses in Colorado were closed yesterday as the state observed Francis Xavier Cabrini Day. Colorado lawmakers authorized the observance back in 2020, establishing the first paid holiday honoring a woman in the United States. Mother Cabrini came to the U.S. from Italy in 1889 and opened a missionary school and orphanage in Denver near the turn of the century. Cabrini was canonized a saint by the church in 1946. And the MLB playoffs begin later today. Eight teams will take the field to begin their quest for a World Series title in the best of three wild card round. In the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays play host to the Texas Rangers for game one while the Toronto Blue Jays will travel to take on the Minnesota Twins in the wild card opener. On the National League side, the Milwaukee Brewers host the Arizona Diamondbacks for Game 1, while the Miami Marlins visit wild card opponent Philadelphia Phillies. All right, so we've got, got some, any uh, predictions yet, Matt? So you know that when I do predictions, it, it doesn't go well. Yeah. Uh, well for yeah. whatever team that I invoke. So there are people saying, please, Matt, don't say the name of my team. So I'm just not going to do it. Not gonna do it, um, but I will say that it's uh, it's been an interesting season. Yeah, it has. Out of all the things uh, that they changed in baseball, I will say that it is it is. I don't like all of them, but a few of them have made the game kind of kind of interesting and a little bit wild. I will like say what? people are stealing bases on the pitch clock. Yeah, they're absolutely stealing bases on the pitch clock. Yeah, and that's been exciting. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's a good. Um, and I like banning the shift. I mm-hmm. think I've said this here before. Yeah, yeah. I think that was a, a good move. But my favorite of the changes is that when you put in a relief pitcher, you have to leave him in for three batters before pulling him. Because that's oh, what forgot. really drove me nuts during the uh, oh, I during know. playoffs. Switching where it's like, oh, every you other faced batter. one batter. Now you're out of here. Time for more commercials mm-hmm. where you have to cover your kid's eyes. No. 
That's, uh... I'm with you, man. That's a good rule change, so thank you for that. Bring back the four-pitch intentional walk, though. And abolish the designated hitter. It is nine minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Dr. Benjamin Lewis from the International Commission on English in the Liturgy. Dr. Lewis, good morning. Good morning. So, of all the things that we've talked about you translating, we've talked a little bit about Scripture and the Liturgy uh, in terms of you know, the Mass, uh, but a lot of people pray the Liturgy of the Hours. A lot of people have their own copies. Some people even have apps, as it were. Uh, what have you been doing in regard to translating the Liturgy of the Hours, and why would you be revising it now? So we have been working on revising the Liturgy of the Hours really uh, for the last 10 years or so. It's, it's kind of a big project. And the reason why is because uh, after the Roman Missal translation of 12 years ago, uh, there's sort of a difference now in, in, in style. Um, and so we, we've been going through all the other liturgical books, kind of updating them and revising them to sort of match the style of the Roman Missal. And so the Liturgy of the Hours, that's what we're doing. We're, we're revising it to match the style of the Missal. But we're also revising it because there are parts of it that were never translated the first time around, uh, specifically the hymns in the Liturgy of the Hours were never actually translated from Latin into English. What was done, uh, the, the church actually has set hymn texts for each of the offices, each of the hours of the Liturgy of the Hours uh, to sort of start the, the office, to start the hour with a hymn. And what was done in the 70s was uh, they looked at the, these Latin hymns and they either found existing translations or they found paraphrases or they found other hymns that were similar but not exact, and they just sort of plugged those in. Um, and so uh, what we're doing this time around is we're actually translating the Latin hymns into English to be singable uh, and to be accurate translations of these hymns, because some of these hymns are uh, specific to the feast day, and they, uh, they're, they're meant to tie in with themes and ideas and scriptural passages that relate to the feast day. And so I want to take a, an example of, of, of this. Yeah, if I'd be very curious at... about this, because I'm in my head, I'm like trying to think of things that we sing where <laughs> we've just basically copied and pasted somebody, somebody else's stuff over an old tune. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm curious about this. So if we look at the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, so that's the Sunday immediately following Epiphany or Sunday after uh, January 6th. So the, the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, if you go to that part of the Liturgy of the Hours, um, there's evening prayer one. So on feast days that fall on a Sunday, we have an evening prayer one and an evening prayer two. And the evening prayer one is said on Saturday evening in anticipation of the feast day on Sunday. Um, and so if you go to the, the currently uh, used Liturgy of the Hours, you'll find a hymn there. Sing praise to our creator, O sons of Adam's race, God's children by adoption baptized into his grace. Praise the Holy Trinity, undivided unity, holy God, mighty God, God immortal be adored. Now, that hymn text is just a hymn text from Omer Westendorf uh, from the early 60s. It's set to uh, a melody. Um, it's not a bad hymn. It's pretty it's, good. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a good. Lyrically. It's a good hymn, um, <laughs> but it's not actually a hymn 
it's not a translation of the hymn that the church proposes for us to sing at this office for the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. Um, and this hymn only mentions baptism in the first stanza. The rest of the hymn doesn't really have to do with baptism. So um, we've translated, and we've actually already got the hymns approved, and they've already been published as a standalone hymnal. So if you want to get your hands on a copy, it's already in print by GIA publishers. Uh, they're calling it the Divine Office Hymnal. Hmm. Uh, it's been it's been out uh, and available since July. Um, so when we do the whole rest of the and finish the whole rest of the Liturgy of the Hours, you'll be able to get it as part of the Liturgy of the Hours. But right now you can get it uh, as a standalone hymnal. And this is what uh, a close translation of the Latin actually is for the whole hymn. The Father's sole begotten Son, you came through Mary, virgin chaste, to hallow all who are baptized and born again by faith in you. From highest heaven you go forth, assuming human form and flesh, to save creation by your death, bestowing all the joys of life. Redeeming Lord, grant this, we pray. Come down to us, with grace descend, to show and offer to our hearts your clear and deifying light. Remain with us, O Lord our God. Remove the darkness of our night and wash away all sin and guilt. In mercy grant your healing balm. All glory be to you, O Christ, the Father and the Spirit blessed. In splendor from the heights of heaven, reveal that you are life and truth. Amen. All right, so, so can that, I just uh, throw a thought in there, just comparing sure. to the to the previous one? So the previous one was was pretty, I mean, it was pretty poetic and beautiful and, you know, had a line about, you know, we're grateful that we're baptized. This I th is, is fascinating to me because it goes through the whole concept of not just our baptism, but Christ coming and being revealed, which is also a key aspect of, of the baptism of the Lord, is the revelation that happens right. when the Father says, uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. this is my Son and the Holy Spirit. It's... It just matches better. Uh, I, yeah. It just matches better. Yeah. So it mentions baptism in the first stanza. It also mentions in the fourth stanza, wash away all sin and guilt. Right. It also picks up on these themes. So the first and second stanza have to do with the incarnation. So it's sort of in anticipation of celebrating the baptism. We're kind of recalling the recent feasts in the liturgical year of Christmas and Epiphany. So we're picking up on themes of, of incarnation and light from Epiphany. And so we're sort of looking, taking these other liturgical feasts and, and kind of looking ahead to the celebration and of the baptism. And contextualizing the baptism in the middle of them. No, yeah. this is awesome. Do you, are you yeah. like, when you go and you find one of these texts and you're like, compare it to what we've been sort of like using almost as like, a, I mean, I don't want to say filler. I don't want to be that crass about it, but something yeah. that sort of matches. But, and, but and then you kind of see just what plugged the— in. Yes, yeah, so, but, but you see what the original kind of intent and language of the church is. Are you like a kid in a candy store on this stuff? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it's like we we've what we've gotten wasn't bad, but we've just been missing out on so many things that we could have been having. Um, you know, there's this a beautiful uh, in, in this fourth stanza, remain with us, O Lord, our God, remove the darkness of our night. That, that first line is actually a quotation of the gospel. Stay with us, Lord, for the evening is approaching. Mm. Right. So it even ties in with the time of day because we're, we're singing this uh, for evening prayer. So there's this idea that you know darkness is coming 
and then uh, and then after the darkness comes the light of the of the new day, the day that we're celebrating the baptism. So we're saying, remain with us, O Lord, and remove the darkness of our night. Um, so we're even sort of tying in the hymn to the, the time of day. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Benjamin Lewis. We've got the International Commission on English in the Liturgy, isilweb.org, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. 17 past. We're back right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I don't like looking back. I prefer to look forward and keep moving forward. There's plenty to cover. I do a lot of research and try to dig out the bits and pieces of a life or an agenda that people don't want to talk about. The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Thursday night, 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. 15 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Be helpful if I turned on my mic, huh? Five cardinals have published, as the Senate is about to get underway, their original and revised dubia to the Pope concerning questions that will come up at the Senate. New York's New York City's health system is offering telehealth abortion access now, and Florida Congressman Matt Gates is aiming to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're trying all kinds of new techie things. Uh, Paul Lockman's actually out ill today, and uh, so Annie's running the board. We're doing videos. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. So thank you for your patience. And thank you for those of you who've checked out this live stream since it launched less than a week ago. It's been an interesting exercise. Uh, but uh, I did get a note from, actually Travis asked me, Travis is the guy running our video animation, and he saw a Lego set up behind me. He's like, is that a scale model of the city of Jerusalem? <laughs> and I was and? like, actually, no, Travis. It's uh, it's the cave scene from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's 21 Sorry. past. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. 
If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by St. Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh, how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious Virgin. She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood, The feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today the Lord glorifies that place, since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen. Morning show continues. We're here with Tim Blumkowski, CEO of the National Eucharistic Congress. Tim, good morning. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm doing well. I wanted to let people know as we get things going here that there's a webinar uh, that is going to be available on Wednesday through the Catholic Leadership uh, through CatholicLeaders.org, the Catholic Leadership Institute on the Eucharist. And I know that uh, this is something that you're promoting as well. So check out the link for that at SunriseMorningShow.com. But I want to get into a survey that some of our listeners may have seen and been very confused by, because we just heard a little while ago that a whole bunch of people don't really believe in the real presence, a whole bunch of Catholics. And then I just read an article the other day that says, turns out that actually a whole bunch of people do. So what are we supposed to make of this? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, some of it, uh, there's a great article by um, Catholic News Agency that came out where they spoke to Zachary Keith from the USDCB, um, was involved in the CARE study, and then... Um, I, I was asked to provide comment as well, too. And I, I do think, you know, some of it comes down to methodologies and ways questions are framed. I, I think when you look at the, um, when you dig a little deeper in the, uh, even the most recent study from CARA versus the initial study from Pew, which showed a lower percentage of Catholics who could correctly identify the church's teaching, I think you still see a lot of the fundamental issues in terms of, um, you know, just kind of being able to state the church's teaching is not, is not the same as necessarily really having the kind of living relationship with Jesus and the Eucharist that we're all invited to that walks itself out in terms of you know practice and recept- reception and all those things. Well, I'm looking at this question that caused all the problems, and uh, there's a here's an option with one of them, at least. So the question was, during Catholic Mass, the bread and wine, and you have three responses. One, actually become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Two, are symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Or three, 
no answer. Now, I already got a quibble here because uh, the bread and wine are symbols of the body and blood of Christ. They are transformed, and their Eucharist is a symbol. It's just not merely a symbol. It's a symbol that is what it signifies. But the, I don't see that option on here, Tim. So uh, Yeah, I think, I think that's some of the results, the interesting results, you know. And, and I think the Eucharistic revival, um, you know, so the study shows, the most recent Kerry study showed, over half of Catholics being able to correctly identify the Church's teaching, right? And 17% going to Mass every, you know, every Sunday. So I think in terms of, if, if for the, the story of the Eucharistic Revival, to me, at least what was in, encouraging and challenging about it for the Church, was a call to revival through the Eucharistic heart of Jesus, the call to healing and renewal. Um, to me, it's never just been about, you know, toggling levers on uh percentages of, of Catholics of belief, you know, or who can um, sort of uh, just a catechetical initiative that can say, you know, where are we at and can we bump that number up, you know, 5% or, or 10% or something. It's always been more about what God is doing in our church in this time, um, in a time of great sort of challenge in the world, right? Oh, of course. And, you know, generally speaking, I, I don't trust polls. Uh, you know, I know that there are people who go about these in really ethical and intentional ways, but there are also a lot of them to just end up being hey, uh, here's the thing that we need to prove, so let's ask questions so we get this result. <laughs> right? That's how yeah, a lot of sure. you know, polling can tend to go, uh, especially when it's done by, by lobbying groups. This seems to be like a, you know, a well-intentioned one that was trying, but it's also you know, on this question of when someone responds as a Catholic, uh, we know theologically if you're baptized and especially confirmed, right, you're Catholic, even if you're a bad one who doesn't go to Mass. Like, you're one of ours. We're trying to get you back. And so— that means that a lot of people end up responding as Catholic who aren't actually involved in the life of the church in any kind of, you know, steady and substantial way. So that kind of skews the results too, doesn't it? Yeah, I do think that is the challenge with national polls that are trying to identify and talk to Catholics. Yeah, like are, if you call them up, are you Catholic? You know, okay, yes. What do you believe about this, this, or this? There's so many. There's a great Sherry Waddell who wrote the book Forming Tensional Disciples says about the work of evangelization. Never um, except a label in place of a story. Uh, and yeah, even sometimes the label of, of Catholic um, in terms of just kind of, uh, and, and really, you know, Catholicism is not a political horse race. We're just trying to identify, you know, sort of different, you know, where Catholics are trending and, and where that should take our church in light of, um, it's about an encounter with Jesus, a person who's actually alive and real, rose from the dead and can be known. And so uh, to me, um, even both polls, the, the the previous one from Pew and the most recent one from Kara, point to a critically low percentage of Catholics. It should be it should be synonymous with being Catholic that it's born out of a living relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist. Like that's they, they're they're tautologically the same, right? Um, it should be by definition that's like why I am uh, Catholic. And, and and to me, I still think that percentage is pretty low, um, no matter how you slice it. It is pretty low, and there are you know missed opportunities along the way. There are things that are poorly explained. There are things that are explained well that people just aren't ready to receive in the right way. There are all kinds of ways to address this. I think you know, and maybe this is your experience too, Tim. Like, it's good for diagnosing uh, where improvement needs to be had, but I feel like a lot of the the ways we spin our wheels is point at this and say, "All right, let's figure out who to blame." And I don't think that's as helpful, right? I think it's 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 these polls are better when they instruct us and, and help us think, "All right, what do we got to upgrade to make this a better number as it were?" Yeah, I think I think typically the um state of affairs that led to a particular discouraging, you know, statistic are pretty complex and varied. 
and the solutions are pretty complex and varied. It's about the whole work of the church to evangelize. It's never one silver bullet that's going to fix it, and it was never one problem that got us here, you know? So, yeah, I, I think that's, I would love to see the church, and I, I've really seen that. I think the parishes where I've seen the Eucharistic revival really thriving, um, you know, we've got thousands of parish point persons now and who are really engaged in walking out the work of the parish year. And um, in those places where it's kind of most robust, it's really this holistic approach to addressing the, the issues. Well, Tim Glimkowski from the National Catholic, or National Eucharistic Congress. Uh, we've got you linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We've also got uh, a link to that webinar on Wednesday with Bishop Cousins with the Catholic Leadership Institute on the Eucharist. Tim, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. God bless, man. Thanks for having me. By the way, when you're at sunrisemorningshow.com, enter your email address and subscribe. Get show notes delivered to your inbox daily and get a link to your live uh, to our live stream featured in your show notes every day as well. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. As the Synod on Synodality is about to get underway tomorrow, five cardinals yesterday made public their original and revised dubia or questions to Pope Francis. Cardinal Raymond Burke yesterday published the five questions they sent to the Holy Father, one regarding the assertion that divine revelation should be reinterpreted based on current cultural and anthropological changes, another regarding the practice of blessing same-sex unions, another regarding the assertion that synodality is a constitutive dimension of the church, another regarding the support of the sacramental ordination of women, and finally, one regarding the assertion that forgiveness is a, quote, human right. The Holy See published the Holy Father's responses to the original questions, and the cardinals have subsequently published their revised questions, to which the Pope has not yet responded. Pope Francis met yesterday with a group of contemplative religious sisters, encouraging them in their humble testimony to the gospel for those in need. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Pope Francis encouraged them to continue following the path of St. Charles de Foucault as they discuss important decisions to take to address the new challenges facing the congregation today, including the lack of vocations, the closure of some houses and the growing average age of their members. The Pope highlighted three guidelines drawn from the saint he canonized in 2022, also in light of the theme chosen for the chapter based on the gospel story of the meeting of Jesus with a Samaritan woman. The first guideline, the most important one, is the search of God. Come la Samaritana, Gesù vi offre il suo amore. E sta a voi accettarne la sfida. As with the Samaritan woman, he said, Jesus offers you his love and it is up to you to accept the challenge by putting aside self-referentiality and habit. Pope Francis went on to reflect on the testimony of the gospel with words, works of charity and prayerful presence. In this regard, he expresses hope that their delicate proximity and care for the least may be a challenge to modern-day indifference. Finally, Pope Francis recalled the love for the hidden life, making oneself small to share the life of the little ones. The Pope encouraged the Sisters of Jesus to continue to cultivate it as a powerful prophecy for our time, which he said is polluted by appearances. 
Continuate a coltivarla. È una profezia potente per il nostro tempo inquinato dall'apparire. I am Lisa Zingarini. In Washington, Florida Congressman Matt Gates is aiming to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his post. Mark Mayfield reports. He filed a motion Monday to force a vote to overthrow McCarthy. Speaking to reporters outside the Capitol, the Florida Republican mentioned House Majority Leader Steve Scalise as a potential replacement. The move comes after McCarthy worked with Democrats to pass a short-term funding bill to keep the government open, which conservative members of the conference were opposed to. Gates has questioned whether McCarthy cut a secret deal with Democrats on funding for Ukraine. A House vote to keep McCarthy on as Speaker could come this week. I'm Mark Mayfield. New York City's health system is now offering telehealth abortion access, becoming the first public health system in the nation to do so. Starting this week, patients in New York City seeking abortion will be able to schedule a virtual appointment with a New York State licensed healthcare professional through health and hospitals. Patients are told they must attest to being in New York City at the time of the call and must attest that they will be in New York City when they take any medication. A nine-year-old girl missing in a New York park has been found alive and her kidnapper captured. Trey Thomas reports. Governor Kathy Hochul confirmed Monday that Charlotte Cena was kidnapped and that her suspected abductor is in custody. It's been a long two days, but tonight our prayers have been answered. We're overcome with relief and gratitude. She noted that Cena appeared to be in good physical shape as she was rescued Monday evening. Hochul said the suspect left a note at Charlotte's parents' house demanding a ransom. Fingerprint analysis led to the man's mother's home, where a SWAT team found Charlotte in a cabinet inside a camper. I'm Trey Thomas. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, why did Christ institute the Holy Eucharist? Christ instituted the Holy Eucharist first to unite us to himself and to nourish our souls with his divine life. Second, to increase grace within us and virtue within our soul. Third, to lessen our evil inclinations. Fourth, to be a pledge of everlasting life. Fifth, to make our bodies ready for glorious resurrection. And sixth, to continue the sacrifice of Christ in his church. Christ instituted the Holy Eucharist because he wants us to be joined to him. And in order to keep us joined to him now and forever, he wants to give us grace so that the virtues and all the other gifts and graces might be present within our souls by his action. 
And when we receive that Holy Eucharist, recognizing why Christ instituted it, it helps us to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain. It's always great to catch up with Steve Ray from CatholicConvert.com, who's all over the world, and we like to catch him when we can. Steve, good morning. Good morning from uh, Israel. We're in Jerusalem right now. We just came down this the Palm Sunday Road from the top of the Mount of Olives. We're all settled in now for Mass at Gethsemane. We're all seated around the rock where Jesus sweat drops of blood. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a... What an incredible thing to watch those stories come to life and those stories yeah. that are, we're so familiar with to see the places where they actually took place. So say hello to our pilgrims for us. Uh, and uh, I will. Send them the, our best from the Sunrise Morning Show. Uh, we're talking today. Okay, I about... can't. I can't get them to. I can't get them to cheer today because they're all just starting math. Yeah, I was about to say they're all uh, probably not. A, it's easier when they're all on the bus together. <laughs> right, uh, right. Uh, it's hard to get them in unity also when they're scattered around. Speaking of which, uh, we're talking today about unity and Trinity in the Bible. Uh, so uh, let's talk about this word unity first and how it's used. It's used four times in the Bible, but never in regards to the nature of God. It's used in nature that we're to live within unity with one another. But at least eight times it's very clear, and probably more, that has the very clear statement that God is one. And before the New Testament, he wasn't revealing himself yet as a trinity, as a plurality of persons. He was just one God. So you have, uh, we just, yesterday was uh, Sakut with the Jews, and the Western Wall was packed. And they were all down there. And one of those key verses that they have, they put it in their arms and on their foreheads and on their doorposts, is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's not multiple gods. He is one God. And you hear this all the way through the Old Testament. There's no other God besides me, he said. And Malachi, have we not all but one God who created us? And all the way through the New Testament as well. So... The word unity is only used in regards to people, but the oneness of God is predominant through the whole Old and New Testaments. In contrast, by the way, to the many gods that were often present in cultures uh, that surrounded that area, although there are hints, there are hints of things, because, you know, when Jesus says, let us make man in our own image, you're like, huh, I wonder what that means, (laughs) right? Uh, But all the same, that idea of the Trinity may be there, uh, and it's certainly fleshed out in the New Testament, but that word never shows up in the Bible, right? No, the word Trinity never shows up in the Bible, but it it was a formula, a word to describe a reality, because even though uh, it's a philosophical word, but we knew that there was one God, and yet this one God reveals himself as three persons. There's the Father who is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Holy Spirit is God. Even in our creeds, we say we worship and adore him as God. So you have three persons, but you only have one God, so then you have to come to a formula. How does that work? It's like putting puzzle pieces together. And it was really the councils of the Church in the first 500 years that hammered this all out. They did the hard work for us amongst multiple heresies. And they hammered it out that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, and yet they form one God. So that's how it came about. Well, this is is sort of um, what you 
see unfold through the New Testament is is trying to find, you know, what's a word to explain all these things that Jesus is saying, like, I and the Father are one, or when he breathes on the apostles and says, receive the Holy Spirit. How's this all fit together, right? But it is yeah. not is not polytheistic. Um, but when it comes to this question of, of, you know, how it's all sorted out in the mystery of it, I mean, John's gospel really, I'm fascinated with John's gospel because Matthew's like, well, Mark is just, I'm going to tell you the gospel, we're just going to jump right into the action, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas Matthew and Luke are like, well, let's get a little genealogy laid out, and then we'll talk about Jesus' birth and how it plays out from there. John's like, in the beginning, right? So John backs yeah. it up the farthest of everybody, and this gives us a really kind of a window into what the Trinity is. Yes, because the others give the genealogy on earth, but John's giving you his eternal genealogy in a sense. That in the beginning, or what you could really say is that before the beginning of time, in eternity, there was God. And the Word, being Jesus, was with God, and He was God. And boy, you know, the heretics have struggled with that to try and eliminate that. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses even change it in their Bibles. They say that He was a God instead of that He was God. Then it finished with the Word, who is God, became flesh. Aha, that's Jesus. You know, one of the things I love, the way I love to view this, Matt, is that the Old Testament, God was forever trying to hammer into their heads that there was only one God and not the multiple gods. Then finally, at the end of the Old Testament, they're finally really loyal to the one God. Then the Gospels open, and God takes a deep breath, and he says, now I want to introduce you to the other two members of this one God. (laughs) And so we meet Jesus in the Gospels, and then we were just at the top of the Mount of Ascension where Jesus ascended, and then he introduces the third person in the book of Acts. It opens with the Holy Spirit being introduced at Pentecost. So there he introduces all three of them. Now, you know, we're in the land of a lot of Muslims. There's a majority Muslims here uh, in regards to Christians. And the, and the Christians pray and cross themselves differently here because the Muslims accuse them of polytheism, of worshiping three gods. So here, when they cross themselves, they say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God to emphasize that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are not three gods. These are three persons, but we worship one God. And that's how they cross themselves here in the Middle East. Well, Steve, I wanted to ask you, to make sure to, to, to ask you this morning, since we're talking about the Trinity in the Bible, and even though that word Trinity doesn't show up until later to explain uh, you know, how this all works, we do see instances in the Gospels where something will happen and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all revealed kind of in this sort of mysterious unity. Uh, one of those is the Jordan River at the baptism of the Lord. So I wonder if you could maybe unpack that just a little bit as we have a, a moment. Yes, and we absolutely. And we were just at the Jordan River and renewed our baptismal vows there. And But when John writes that you must be born again, how? By water and spirit. What did Jesus just do? He went into the water and the Spirit came down. So it's not rocket science how you get born again. It's water baptism. And this is when God revealed himself as a trinity, and because Jesus came down to the river, and he went into the water, and the dove came down in bodily form, the Holy Spirit. 
upon him. So there you've got the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then everybody heard the voice of God the Father from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So here everybody had a glimpse with their eyes and their ears of the Trinity, and it hadn't been revealed much in the Old Testament. It had been alluded to when those three strangers came to Abraham's tent. There were three of them, but he addressed them in a singular Lord, not as lords, but Lord. And the fathers of the church said, especially Augustine and Ambrose, said that we're walking in deep waters here because we see the Trinity. Yeah, it's a powerful thing to reflect upon. And, you know, also, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Christ is revealed, the second person of the Trinity in the Incarnation. The Holy Spirit descends upon the Apostles at Pentecost. But once you start to figure out what the picture is, you see the Trinity and uh, the second person and the third person uh, collaborating all through the pages of salvation history. So yes. lots to lots to reflect upon there, Steve. I know you got to get to Mass. Thank you so much for joining us. If our listeners want to find more of your resources, maybe join you in the Holy Land one of these days. How do they find you? CatholicConvert.com. You can join us virtually because I'm putting up videos every night on CatholicConvert.com. Very cool. Thank you so much, Steve. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Matt. Well, October dedicated to the Holy Rosary. We're going to talk more about Our Lady of the Rosary with Chris McGregor coming up after the break. Plus headlines with Anna Mitchell. It's a quarter till. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founder, St. Daniel Combonius, and inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I want to thank you very much for what you have done for us these years as we converted to Catholicism two years ago, and you had a huge influence on us, the information that we got from you. So I do want to say a huge thank you for this show. So I'm listening, and I'm a new listener to this station, and I'm actually going to get a lot of friends to listen to this station. I'm so excited. Till. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, my dear friend who can do everything oh and all gosh. things in him, right? In 
him. It is all for the kingdom. If folks are watching our video live stream, they see I am in a very different location because I am also running our control board while trying to talk to you. Well, luckily, Chris, I can just hand it off to you and it's going to be fine because we have quite the reading here uh, to unpack from St. Bernard of Clairvaux, our selection from the Office of Readings for the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary later this week. And uh, like I said, a sermon from St. Bernard. I feel like we hear from him a lot um, in the Office of Readings and quite often on Marian feast days. Yeah, could it be that he's only second to the great St. Augustine, Mm. who we hear all the time, and rightly so, because the richness of their sermons and what they had to teach the church still it still penetrates to us today because it's actually such a beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. So um, what's wonderful about, about this week and what was so difficult <laughs> was trying to choose something. <laughs> I believe it. All of these great feast days that we have this week, we had the guardian angels, uh, what, St. Francis of Assisi, there's there's St. Bruno, the, the founder of the, the Cistercians, is this week, and then now we're, we're looking at uh, this sermon from St. Bernard for the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. And it's kind of interesting, this choice of the reading for the office, because even though we know that it's, um, you know, in light of, of the Feast of the Holy Rosary, I mean, he doesn't mention the rosary specifically in this sermon. Yeah, the thing is about the devotion of the rosary, it it was prominent. Benedictines had been praying the Psalms and doing um, this this meditative Lexio Divina with Scripture from way back to their founding. But uh, the Dominicans were the ones who really, let's can we give them some credit Mm -hmm. to have really promulgated the devotion to the rosary. But that would be after the 1200s. And so here we have St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who, of course, lived from 1090 to 1153, but he is he's writing about the reason, essentially, why we would do the rosary, why we pray with the rosary. It's so beautiful when he goes into the reflection mm-hmm. about how it is, it's so important for us to meditate on the, the life of Christ, his action in our world, because prior to him coming into the world, the, in the beginning was the word before he um, was made flesh. We didn't really have uh, understood him. He said by nature, he was incomprehensible and inaccessible. He was invisible and unthinkable. But now he wished to be understood, to be seen and thought of. So the word was made flesh. And he would say, even now, okay, this is his insertion, St. Bernard's insertion in the scripture, even now dwells among us. Mm. I just think that's so important for us to remember, don't you? Oh, it's so important. And I don't want to take anything for granted, Chris, because we have plenty of non-Catholic listeners to the Sunrise Morning Show and plenty of people who are new to the faith or maybe they're cradle Catholics and are just now coming around to, to trying to have a real grasp on the faith. And so people are thinking the rosary and Jesus. I thought the rosary was about Mary. So what in the world are you talking about here, focusing on Jesus when we're talking about the rosary? Because Mary is always going to point us towards her son. Mm -hmm. Well, mother doesn't say, don't look at me, look at my boy over there. 
Look at what he's doing. Look at how he's caring for us and loving us and sacrificing for us. Mary is like a, a beautiful, beautiful stained glass where the light just passes through her because she wants everything to be pointed towards her son. And so he will, uh, St. Bernard will say, this is so important to use the gift of this imagination that we have. Because he says, it isn't it lovely, Anna, when he says, it is by faith that he dwells in our hearts, in our memory, our intellect, and penetrates even into our imagination. So he's saying, take time. And then that's how we do it with a rosary. We take time to sit in prayer and to reflect on all these important moments in salvation history. So important. Here's an important one. He rested on the virgin's breast. He lay in a manger. She, he's held by his mother. You know, just the tender types of things that we might just fly by. Imagine that. God comes into the world as his vulnerable child and will rest on, this, on the virgin's breast on her, on, and just being held by her. How beautiful and comforting. And he, and it's important for us to take time to just stop there for a moment, don't you think? Yeah. Well, and to imagine it from the Blessed Mother's eyes, I think, is a beautiful way to meditate on these mysteries. I mean, like you said, this before the, the rosary was really popular, that he's writing this and yet touches on so many of the mysteries that, that we meditate on in here. You, you mentioned he lay in a manger and rested on a virgin's breast. Then it goes on, he goes on to say, preached on a mountain and spent the night in prayer. He hung on a cross, grew pale in death, and roamed free among the dead and ruled over those in hell. He rose again on the third day and showed the apostles the wounds of the nails, the signs of victory. And finally, in their presence, he ascended to the sanctuary of heaven. I didn't, I, it, it's too early for me to count how many mysteries we just covered there in those mm -hmm. couple of sentences, but so beautifully put by St. Bernard here. Yeah, he, he goes on and he says, how can we not contemplate this story in truth, piety, and holiness? You know, that the fact that God would knew we needed to have this beautiful expression of his love, that would come into the world and to help us to be able to understand him, to, to want to respond to him, to love him in return and to dwell with him forever, to say yes to that. And the first one to do that, of course, was the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. I mean, Anna, when you think about Mary, here she is, the daughter of the, of the father. She is the mother of the son. She is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. That's all scriptural, okay? And because of that, she knows more um, than all the rest of us. She has experienced it so, so fully that Bernard, who has had such a great love for Mary, it says that Mary, drawing abundantly from heaven, has caused the sweetness to overflow for us. She wants us to, to share and to, to, to be there and to experience all that love wants to give us, to share with us. And there's nothing like the, the, the fact that not only does he come into the world to love us, but to suffer with us, to, to make our sufferings become redemptive, and not just a suffering, but a sacrifice that's pleasing to the Lord. 
as he says to our blessed mother here at the beginning the child to be born of you will be called holy the son of god the fountain of wisdom the word of father on high through you blessed virgin this word will become flesh so that even though as he says i am in the father and the father is in me it is still true for him to say i came forth from god and am here of course here with us as you were talking about at the beginning we've been talking to Chris McGregor. We've got discerninghearts.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Chris, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Great job, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you very much. That'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.